Welcome to episode 37 of the Montana Values Podcast. In this show, we'll update you on what we've learned since our 36th episode where we highlighted the Lewistown, Montana child sex abuse case, including our talk with Aaron Flint on the Montana Talks radio program. Let's join our host, Tammy Fisher. So folks, it's April 1st, but we're not actually playing an April Fool's game on you. We have some new information that has come to light since we recorded our last podcast. That was episode 36, where we talked about a horrific child abuse case in Lewistown that has gone on since March of 2015 and only resolved recently. And by resolution, I mean there was finally a judgment and sentence at the end of March 2021. Well, you know, I had the great honor and pleasure of discussing this case with Aaron Flint on his radio show today, in fact. And in that discussion, we all agreed that there were more questions than there were answers in the information that we had at that time. Let's take a listen briefly here to what Aaron Flint and I spoke about on his Montana Talks radio program this morning. Very heavy subject, very tough subject. So I just want to give give folks a warning that hey, uh, FYI, th- this is uh, this is just a a tragic story all around that we're going to talk about. I don't know. You probably saw the same headline that I did. Let me see when when did this story get published? This story this story I think was first published on March 18th. So it's it's been a couple weeks ago now, and and I know many of you saw the same headline that I saw. Uh, this this was the headline. KRTV had it. Great Falls, uh, and I'm and I'm sure the other Montana television network uh, stations had this as well. This was the headline: Child rapist in Lewistown sentenced to probation. And and I'm sure many of you had the exact same reaction that I had when I read this headline: A child rapist sentenced to probation. How in the world did this happen in America? How in the world did this happen in Lewistown, Montana, of all places? Uh, and, and the sad fact is, is I think we can all point to other instances in Montana where, where we've seen similar headlines, and it wasn't just in Lewistown. It's happened in multiple places across Montana. What in the world do we need to do? What do we need to change in the law? Maybe there is a mandatory minimum sentences or what? What needs to happen to where, to where we can't have – uh, child abusers get off the hook like this. Just basically get off with with probation here. Uh, I, I was just out, and I, in fact, I, was, I even reached out to some friends in Lewis. I'm like, wait a minute, is there something else that we're not seeing here? What in the world is going on with this story? How does a man who pleaded guilty to sexually abusing a five year old get released back into the community with probation? Wasn't this judge supposed to be a strong on crime judge? And then you just see the creepy smile of, of the alleged abuser in the booking photo that was also featured on the TV report. And you're like, how in the world did this happen? How, how are these abusers, how are these criminals so often being let off the hook by so many judges, even here in Montana? What in the world is going on here? Uh, so anyway, that was my initial reaction when I saw this headline um, a couple of weeks ago, and, and I've been wanting to talk about this on the show here because it seems like it's becoming a repeated offense here in Montana, doesn't it? Uh, criminals getting left off the hook, abusers being let off the hook here in this state. What, what's wrong with our laws? What's wrong with maybe with some of the judges? I don't know. I don't know the, this judge in particular, but what is happening? Uh, but there's also more to this story. 
that, that I didn't realize when I when I first even just read these initial news reports. Uh, the Billings Gazette also had a story here. Fergus County attorney and police chief criticize sentence for a man convicted of sexual assault. So the so the the county attorney in Fergus County, the police chief are are also outraged at the fact that that this guy who was convicted for. Uh, uh, after it ended up, anyway, it's a long story about how it ended up becoming an Alford plea. But basically, the headline was "Child Rapist in Lewistown Sentenced to Probation." Obvious outrage across the state of Montana when folks read those same headlines and those same stories. But it turns out there's even there's even more to this story, uh, and it's and it was explored in a recent Montana Values podcast. Uh, I know our friends in Kalispell know former Kalispell mayor and attorney Tammy Fisher. She's got a podcast uh, that she hosts called Montana Values. Um, She did an episode called The Real Victims of the Criminal Justice System. She joins us now here on Montana Talks. Uh, Tammy, uh, good to have you back on the show. Thanks so much for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me, Aaron. This was a fascinating case. Yeah, and obviously, you know, we're on the air in Lewistown right now, and so it's one of those tough cases. And you know, like you point out in in your podcast here, you know, Lewistown, like so many towns in Montana, is a town where everyone knows everyone. And and when I listen to your podcast and when I read these news stories, there there's just tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy here. Yeah, it was an incredibly sad throughout, and. At the end of the day, um, the folks that were re-victimized, it, it really is, is fascinating. And, and again, we have, as you said, this criminal defendant, Mr. Taranis, who pled guilty and, in fact, apologized to the victim. Um, and, and that plea, of course, was his first plea. There came a second plea where he pled Alfred, which is really just kind of a weenie plea of saying, I know you got the evidence against me. I just don't want to say I'm guilty. But he never and he still hasn't served a day in prison. Not and this happened in 2015. The offense happened in 2015. We're in 2021 and he still has not spent a single day in prison. You you open up your your podcast uh, talking about how no town in Montana is immune to the ravages of child sexual abuse, and Lewistown has been embroiled in a highly emotional and twisted child sex abuse case for over six years. You note how the whole town was witness to the devastation that one child sex abuse case can have on an entire community. Um, first, just focusing on on the the. Uh, the child rapist who was sentenced to probation here, as you know, not even getting a date. I mean, just first focusing on that. It, it just seems like when we talk with so many folks across Montana, there is something wrong with our criminal justice system when you have child abusers in particular who are basically getting let off the hook by by one too many judges here in the state. Well, and if you think about it, child abuse cases are the hardest cases in our criminal justice system to try because your victims often, are, you know, they're children, right? So their brains aren't fully developed. You're cross-examining them on their memories, and it's an it's a cr- incredibly traumatic experience for child victims to go through. Not only are they victimized during the initial offense, but trial is a re-victimization because you're reliving those moments, and you're being cross-examined by your offender's attorney uh, to try to test your memory skills and the advancement of your own language. So this girl was five years old, and it's very often in our criminal justice system that you cannot take 
these types of cases to trial where you don't have DNA evidence because the victims aren't advanced enough in their language skills that they could um, pass basically the testing that goes on during a trial. So this took some prosecutors who had a lot of cojones to um, even bring this case to trial because the victim, again, was five years old and by all of the eyewitness testimony testified actually wonderfully in trial and provided a very compelling and complete um, memory of the events. And so her testimony was very compelling. She's now 11 years old and still her offender has not spent a single day in prison. And, and I can't imagine the pain uh, for that child, the pain for that family. I wouldn't even want to begin to imagine that. And I know, I know I don't want to mention the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the victim's name or the victim's family names here or anything. But, uh, but the obvious question is, is okay, if, if all of the merits of the case, the county attorney, the police chief, if everybody looks at this and says, what in the world happened here? I, I, you kind of pointed this out in your podcast that, that the judge was expected to be a strong on crime judge here. So, uh, what did it, what do you think happened here? Honestly, I think that by the time, um, uh, Mr. Taranis was finally sentenced, the judge had the wrong focus in the case. Instead of focusing on punishing, the criminal and punishing the crime or punishing the offense. I think he was trying to teach the victim's parents a lesson maybe, or he thought that um, the pound of flesh for this victim had already uh, been taken. So the vengeance had already been taken because the defendant, the criminal defendant, the stated offender, the guy that admitted guilt, his attorney in the process of this trial and of this case committed suicide right after this criminal defendant, this admitted offender, pleaded guilty and apologized to the victim. That evening, his attorney, a guy who was a great guy named Jeff Foster, uh, went back to his hotel room and committed suicide. Mm. So that and, that you believe was kind of the, the, the turning point in what really, really had a uh, had changed in that kind of the trajectory of of this case, because then after that point in listening to your podcast here, after that happened, then this abuser then took advantage of that situation to then change to to then change his guilty plea and it ended up becoming an Alford plea. But and then it stretched this case on even further. Got a message here on our Montana Talks app from Greg in Columbia Falls. Uh, says, I think we need to take these, we need to hold these judges more accountable. Uh, he says, when we vote for these judges, I'd like to know their records and their rulings. I tried to get this info when I voted last in Missoula and it was like pulling teeth. Uh, so, so basically he's saying we need to have more information on these judges and how they rule, especially when, when they come up for election and, and things like that. Obviously we're talking about just this horrific case out of Lewistown, Montana. That's been stretching out now over six years. You probably saw the same headline I did a couple of weeks ago. Child rapist sentenced to probation. How in the world did that happen? Uh, Tammy Fisher explores this. We, we won't get into the whole story here on, on Montana Talks right now. But like I say, if you go to our website, you can you can find her Montana Values podcast where she explores, uh, quote, the real victims of the criminal justice system. Tammy, you noted in your podcast that that the judge here on this case 
was considered to be a strong on crime judge. I mean, was pretty much sought out. Uh, you know, this would be the judge that you would typically want on a case like this if you were the prosecution, right? Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think, Aaron, that's the irony of this. And to Greg's point, when you're looking for good judges, this guy, this judge in particular, Judge Spalding, by his resume, is the prosecutor's judge. This is who you want. Um, if you'll recall, there was a case several years ago where I think it was a teacher who um, had an inappropriate relationship with a student and um, was sentenced only to, to 30 days in jail because that's also considered rape in Montana. And and that was horrible of that judge. And Spalding came in and resentenced that guy to 10 years in prison. And so and Spalding, before he became a judge, was a prosecutor. He was the county attorney. And so you would think as a prosecutor and with his history, to Greg's point, looking at his history, he is a tough on crime judge. So there had to be something different in this case that caused him to take a different turn, because, again, you still have an offender who admits the offense, apologizes to the victim, who then gets a probationary sentence, yeah. not a single day in prison. Well, and, and I think you kind of hint at what may have taken place here, what may have uh, caused the judge to maybe turn in this direction. Uh, and I would encourage folks to listen to your podcast for more on that. But I, I know we're short on time here, but I, I, I could never be one of these defense attorneys. But at the end of the day, somebody had to do it. Somebody had to be there. And that's the other tragedy here is that the defense attorney who was initially assigned to this case uh, took his own life and committed suicide. And and I know in your podcast, you, you give a really good tribute to uh, apparently he was just a great, a great guy and a part of a great family here in Montana. Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. He was a great attorney, um, fifth generation Montanan from southwest Montana, grew up in Whitefish. Um, he just and, you know, he's just doing his job. And he, you know, the thing with defense attorneys, and, and I'm like you, Aaron, I'm a lawyer, but there is no chance that I could be a criminal defense attorney. I was a prosecutor myself for a period of time. So, but the thing that defense attorneys do and criminal defense attorneys do, they are not seeking, they don't believe necessarily that their clients are innocent. What they're doing is protecting the Constitution and making sure that the conviction that comes is based upon um, the rights of their client being protected all the way through and due process. And that's it. They're able to do that and separate kind of the uh, personal animus they might have for their clients and maybe their clients acts, especially if they know they're guilty. They're able to separate that. That's an extraordinary um, skill set. And Jeff Foster was an extraordinary person and, and attorney by all accounts from, from what I've read and what I've learned. Yeah. Well, I, I know we're out of time for today, but I, I would encourage folks to check out uh, Tammy's uh, podcast on this topic. Uh, it's a very, very fascinating uh, insight. Tammy Fisher, former Kalispell mayor and attorney. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for being with us here on Montana Talks. Thanks, Aaron. Keep up the good work. All right. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, yeah, MontanaTalks.com, by the way, if you want to find that podcast quickly, um, I've got it embedded there in the story. So following that discussion, which was a great discussion and, and so grateful to Aaron for having us on because this case remains a mystery. And this case and the players in this case, you know, there's just tragedy all over the place. We wanted to follow up and 
the feedback we received from you folks is that, man, there's a lot of questions here. I didn't feel like I had any resolution and we feel the same. It's a case that even though I'm nowhere near involved in it has kept me up at night with lots of questions. And so we kept digging, folks, and I'm, I'm glad we did. Hot off the presses, we got finally the judgment and sentence because nobody can figure out how a tough on crime judge would sentence a admitted child molester to probation and no fine. It just doesn't make any sense because Judge Spalding, as you recall, was a prosecutor before he became a judge, and he's the youngest judge ever elected in the state of Montana, and he has consistently been tough on crime. And so this just didn't make any sense. In Montana, though, if you give less than four years of imprisonment as a sentence for a child molester, you have to, as a judge, explain why you did that. You have to have what's called good cause so that any the Supreme Court, when they review that sentence, they can say, yes, it was the appropriate sentence. And now remember this defendant, Jason Tiranes, he pled guilty to sexual assault. And this came after a mediation process. And criminal mediation is kind of a new thing in Montana. Usually we don't have anything to mediate about. It's basically, hey, you're a criminal go to prison. That is my kind of mediation. Apparently, though, the rest (laughs) of society has determined that my hard line on criminals may not, in fact, be the best thing in order to resolve cases. And so it looks like they had Greg Pinsky serve as the mediator. And he is a former judge out of Great Falls. In fact, I think He and I graduated the same year, different high schools, but I think the same year. So he was is a good mediator. He's always been a great criminal court judge. So he mediated the case. But by this time, we have all new players with the exception of the judge. The only steady professional in this case is Judge Spalding. He's been on essentially since the inception. We have a whole new county attorney. The county attorney is now Kent Sipe. Miss, it doesn't appear, at least from the judgment and sentence, that Miss Adams is involved anymore. She may not even be employed by the Fergus County Attorney's Office. Dan Gazinski was initially on this case from the Attorney General's Office because he always comes in when prosecutors need help around the state and trying cases. Dan was initially in, but after mediation, he got out of the case because there was a ruckus in mediation. There was a disagreement on how this matter should be resolved. So, But it did resolve, and the resolution was that Tarana's would plead guilty to sexual assault that sentence is supposed to be four years to life. If you deviate at all from that sentence, the judge has to give a reason why. The prosecution agreed it would be bound by recommending four years in prison for the defendant. But the defense was able to, through the plea agreement, the defendant will be free to argue for any lawful sentence. And that would include probation because probation can be a lawful sentence under Montana law so long as the judge gives reasons for that. So the prosecution was bound. The defendant wasn't. Now, the prosecution, Kent Sipe, who I happen to have graduated law school with, he thought that the court would follow his four-year recommendation. However, there were some missteps in in this case that the sentence and judgment points out. And I will say Judge Spaulding did an excellent job in laying out why he did what he did. But again, this judgment and sentence leaves a couple unanswered questions. That being, 
So was the probationary sentence the fault of the judge or the new county attorney? Kent Sipe has a history of being a county attorney for years and years. I think virtually since we got out of law school together, he's been one of the county attorneys. He was in Muscleshell County at a roundup for years. And then for whatever reason, he switched out to Fergus County in Lewistown. So he's kind of been a lifer as a county attorney. But apparently... Dan Gazinski, who works for the attorney general's office and has for years, at least since we both left the Flathead County Attorney's Office, he was not happy that the state was going to allow or that Kent Sipe was going to allow Mr. Taranis to plead Alford and not plead guilty to a sex offense. He didn't like that. And apparently the attorney general's office has a policy of not allowing sex offenders to plead Alford, which means They're not actually taking responsibility for the crime. They're not pleading guilty. They're not saying I did it. They're saying you got enough evidence to convict me. So I guess I'll plead Alford. I'd rather take that deal than take my chances at trial. And so basically, Gazinski's like, we don't allow sex offenders to be pussies. We just don't. We tell them they have got to own it. And if we're going to come to a plea agreement, they got to own it on paper and they got to own it in court. And so... I personally favor that type of a policy coming out of the state attorney general's office because child molesters are not rehabilitatable, in my view. Child molesters, especially those who refuse to admit to their crime, definitely would not be rehabilitatable. So I think that that's a good policy, but clearly that caused a schism between the attorney general's office via Dan Gazinski and Kent Sipes' office via the Fergus County Attorney's Office. That's noted in the judgment and sentence where Gazinski said, I'm out. I'm no longer co-counsel then. This is what you're going to go through with. I don't want to be a part of it. So we give Gazinski credit because he's standing strong. Again, he's tough on crime. He says, if you're a child molester, you own it or I'm not giving you any deals. So the deal, apparently, pleading Alfred was fine with Mr. Sipe, who's the county attorney, wasn't fine with Dan Gazinski. So Gazinski's out. So now we have Kent Sipe as the county attorney, the defense attorney is now Bob Snively. And of course, we still have Judge Spaulding. So here's the interesting thing in any judgment and sentence. The judge has discretion. There's no question about that. But the judge must base his sentence on the facts and evidence before him. He cannot go outside of what has been presented to him for consideration in sentencing. And so he relies on both the prosecutor here, Kent Sipe, and the defense attorney to supply him with sufficient evidence to support his sentence that he gives. If you are asking for a prison sentence and you provide no documents to substantiate that prison is appropriate— for the accused, how they stand in consideration of the criminal history, then the judge can't utilize much discretion because that would be de facto appealable, meaning the defendant could appeal right away and say, hey, the only evidence you had was to give me a probationary sentence. You can't give me something outside of the evidence that was before you. And that evidence has to be supplied by the county attorney. And clearly in this judgment and sentence, the judge took offense at the quality of the evidence he was provided by Mr. Sipe, the county attorney. 
one of the things when you are sentencing someone for a sex offense you take into account is what is called a sex offender evaluation. Everyone who is convicted of a sex offense has to undergo an evaluation to determine what level sex offender they should be named. So you can be one, two, or three level sex offender. And basically, that tells the court your risk to reoffend. If your risk to reoffend is high because you are labeled a tier one sex offender, it's either tier one or tier three. I can't remember which is the high one. If it's high, then they'll usually give you more time in prison, which is usually counted by saying that's more time for you to learn how to rehabilitate and reform. And you have to go through sex offender one training and sex offender two training. This is not to train you to be a sex offender. It's to rehabilitate you back to being a non-sex offender, which again, from my personal standpoint, watching witness what I have, it doesn't work. It makes a hill of beans difference. Is so, that even possible? Well, I've never seen it work, but that's just my experience with the criminal justice system. So what Mr. Sipe provided the court with was a psychosexual evaluation from 2015. And apparently Mr. Sipe agreed with Mr. Snively, who was the defendant's attorney, that they could utilize that evaluation from 2015. <laughs> That's funny because the first thing I think of is if you're appraising your house today, you're not going to use an appraisal from six years ago. Right. And that evaluation was done by the defense in advance of trial. It wasn't an evaluation done after the guy pled guilty. What it was was an expert opinion that the defendant could have provided during trial to say, I'm a good guy. I don't meet the profile of a sex offender. It wasn't done after he pleads guilty and then you get the evaluation. And so it was essentially defense evidence in defense of this gentleman at trial saying, I'm not a sex offender. I don't meet the profile. So Sipe agrees to use defense evidence that didn't even come in after this guy admitted guilt because at that time he was saying he was innocent. And so, of course, that evaluation is going to proclaim this guy's innocence. That makes sense. Why else would you use it? Why else would you get it unless you're using it to proclaim his innocence? And Sipe says, yeah, we can use that for sentencing. Well, if we use that for sentencing, Sipe, that goes before the court. And that tells the court, this guy is pure as a driven snow. Doesn't in any way take into account that he pled guilty to an offense. Doesn't even say he pled guilty to an offense. In fact, that evaluation, as cited by the court, says, with a reasonable degree of medical certainty, Mr. Tiranas is a low risk or threat to the community. A tier one is evidenced by being a productive member of the community with regard to stable employment, saving money to buy a house and active in a church community. He's showing ideal parenting to his four children and actively participating in their school and extracurricular activities. Mr. Tiranas has friends who offer emotional and instrumental support, and his attitude is positive as evidenced by hard work, demonstrating empathy and compassion towards others, and finding pre-social outlets to improve his life and that of his children. Mr. Tiranas is amenable to community treatment. The prognosis for a successful outcome is excellent. So what we have here in front of the judge for him to make a decision on sentencing is basically an evaluation that says he's fine. 
There's no problems with him. I don't even think he's a sex offender. In fact, I mean, he goes to church for crying out loud. Mm. So that's what the judge has to base his sentencing on. Has to. Because he can't make up the evidence. He's got to base it on the evidence in front of him. And then, of course, after you plead guilty or hear Alford to an offense, there is a pre-sentence investigation report, and that's done by our probation and parole officers here in Montana. This is an investigation report that is given to the court, again, as another basis for the court to decide what the punishment should be for the defendant that's before him. The court says in Judge Spaulding's judgment and sentence, the author of the pre-sentence investigation report, adult probation and parole officer Tim Tim Hyde's, sent an email to the parties expressing his concerns about the psychosexual evaluation and was advised by the county attorney that he would just have to use the evaluation as the state had agreed to its use as part of the plea agreement. So even the guy that's writing the pre-sentence investigation report is like, why would we use this evaluation? Are you sure, Mr. Sipe, that this is a good idea? Six years old. It's six years old. Why would we do this? And he sent an email to everybody saying this. And Sipe said, don't worry, do it. It's part of the plea agreement. So then the judge is looking at the evidence in front of him, and he knows that the pre-sentence investigation includes reference, again, to the psychosexual evaluation that basically says that Mr. Sharon is as pure as the driven snow. And then the court says that the state and the defense further agreed that the court should recommend that the Montana Department of Corrections pre-screen the defendant for a conditional discharge, meaning what the county attorney agreed to in the plea agreement is that this defendant could be pre-screened for conditional discharge, meaning he would never serve any time in jail. If you're pre-screened for conditional discharge, that means you don't go to jail. You're just discharged in the community. And so for Mr. Sipe to say, I had no idea he would get just probation is false. Everybody knows that conditional discharge is a discharge from supervision by the Department of Corrections for the time remaining on an offender's sentence if their probationer complies with the conditions imposed by the court. And so that means if the defendant is approved for a conditional discharge, he could have been released in the community immediately following sentencing without further supervision by the Department of Corrections. So when the county attorney Sipe says we had no idea he would just get probation, he envisioned that when he entered into this plea agreement. Sure. What he wanted on his record was a four-year sentence. We got justice for this kid while playing hide the weenie when in the plea agreement, he's saying, but you can get screened for conditional discharge. That's plain fast and loose. And it's basically saying, I don't like the press that I got for this, but it's actually the press that I deserve because I had offered the defendant that, sure, I'm going to go ahead and say I want four years in court, but wink, wink, you can go ahead and get pre-screened for conditional discharge because you'll never serve a day in jail if you do that. So Mr. Sipe disavowed any such agreement at the time of sentencing, except the judge went back to the transcript at the change of plea. And that transcript shows that Kent Sipe, the county attorney, says he agreed to a pre-screen for conditional discharge with DOC. So Kent Sipe agreed to roll the dice to see if this guy would get a probationary sentence anyway. Then, you know, the guy had spent 387 days in jail. And I'm not sure if that was between the time he pled guilty 
And when the Supreme Court came back and said, no, retry the case, I'm not sure when that time was, but he got credit for that time he had served. So even if the court gave a four-year sentence, which is what Kent Sipes said that he expected to have happen, Jason Tarantas would have walked out of court because in Montana, you serve a quarter time and a quarter time is less than 387 days in jail he'd already served. And so Sipe knew this guy had spent 387 days in jail. He was getting credit for it. And he knew when the judge said four years, that meant Tarana's was walking onto the streets because he put in the plea agreement. He got credit for that time served. So under any circumstance here, this guy, according to the plea agreement, according to what Sipe put into the plea agreement and what Snively agreed to on behalf of his client, this guy was not going to serve another day in jail. He was never going to prison. So that's not the judge's fault. And that's what the judge is pointing out here. Listen, I got to rely on the evidence that's placed before me. And when I look at this plea agreement, it's a bait and switch. It's basically saying, yes, we think he should spend four years in jail knowing that he's already served what he would be required to serve under Montana law. That's not the judge's fault. And so when the judge says it's sixes, all I've got in front of me is this psychosexual evaluation and a pre-sentence investigation that shows zero criminal history, no risk to reoffend. I have to give him a probationary sentence because if I give him the four years, at least under the probationary sentence, which is much longer than the four years, it actually is 10 years, right? I have a tail on him and we can monitor him more for his risk to reoffend. Under Sipes, four years, the guy wouldn't have a tail. And so he would walk out of the courtroom the day of sentencing because he's already served a quarter time, which is what's required in Montana. He served a quarter of those four years and he would only be on probation for three years. So the judge, practically speaking, in the application of the law, gave this guy a longer sentence than what he would have had had the county attorney's agreement been fulfilled. So is this the greatest Las Vegas sleight of hand maneuvering by Sipe ever? Well, yeah, because he's now in the press saying, this is baloney. This never should have happened. This is horrible. I expected jail time, blah, 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 blah. But he knew all along this guy was never going to spend another day in jail because he'd already served his time. And he knew all along that he agreed for this guy to be pre-screened for conditional discharge by the Department of Corrections, which meant if he passed the screening, he was never going to serve a day in jail and never be monitored. So this judge, based upon the evidence before him, ended up giving Mr. Tarana's more time in our criminal justice system on probation and more time of supervision than the plea agreement ever would have given this guy. And so you have to look at the plea agreement and how different players in the judicial system play fast and loose with things. And so this is kind of a thing where we think that the judge screwed this up, but I don't think that's the case. I certainly think that the judge was wrong in some of his assessments of like Mr. Foster's work, Jeffrey Foster. I think Jeffrey Foster was a really good attorney and I think he was just doing his job. But the judge was not wrong in how he applied the facts and the evidence to the law of sentencing. And you can only apply those facts and evidence that you have in front of you. He did that. The person supplying the facts and the evidence, though, 
was Mr. Sipe, the county attorney. And he supplied the wrong stuff. It just wasn't sufficient stuff for the judge to make a determination that incarceration could occur. Because again, if he would have taken the evidence that he had from Mr. Sipe and decided, I'm still going to give this guy 10 years in prison, that would have been immediately appealable and overturned by the Supreme Court. Because they would have said, you never had any facts or evidence in front of you to substantiate the sentence that you gave. So this is a case where The contents of the plea agreement are important because if you're saying I'm going to give this guy credit for time served and I'm going to recommend a four year sentence and you know that in Montana you only serve a quarter time, that's in a statute. Then the guy is walking out of the courtroom. He's never going to see another day in jail. And so for Sipe to complain that this judge did a horrible thing at sentencing, Sipe knows in his gut that the judge actually gave this guy more of a sentence than Sipe ever envisioned in that plea agreement. And that's a problem. So when people say, what do we do about these bad judges? I don't think Spalding is a bad judge. It raises a really good issue, though. What we do about bad actors in the judicial branch, in the criminal justice system, is we make sure we elect people with integrity and who are competent for the position. That is critically important. And as we've talked about here on this podcast, we need to exercise more critical thinking and stop electing people based upon sound bites. Because sound bites aren't going to show you who these people really are. You got to dig deeper. I am grateful to the Fergus County District Courthouse. Their district court staff is phenomenal. They sent me this judgment and sentence and the plea agreement. And the judgment and sentence came out after our last podcast and it explains more fully what really happened here and how this sentence came to be. Now, we still have some unanswered questions, right? So where do we place our box of disgust? On whose doorstep do we place that box? Well, I think we place our disgust at the doorsteps first of the guy that pleaded guilty initially and said that he committed this offense, that he, in fact, did molest this child. First, we should be disgusted with him. Certainly. Next, we should, generally speaking, have disgust for the fact that an attorney committed suicide over the stress of a criminal case where he was just doing his job. So we should all be disgusted by that. And every one of us that works in the judicial system should think about our colleagues and when they need help and what we should do to intervene. But I think, truly, we got to look at the county attorney and say, what were you thinking? Because if the AG's office bailed on him when he came to this plea agreement, that's a sign. And when the judge points out all of these issues in his judgment and sentence, and they don't have to do that, folks. They can just say, I sentence you to bleh. They point out all of these deficiencies. That's a sign. He's saying, there's something rotten here, folks. Look deeper. I regret that we didn't have that information in our last podcast because it's good information and it's worthy for all of us to consider. Now, what we can say about this victim is we know now that she's moved out of state with her parents. Her parents are disgusted with this entire process. Those are legitimate feelings. Her dad in particular, according to the judge, feels very let down by the judicial system and is wholly disgusted. Her mom agreed to the plea agreement, but I don't know what else she was going to do because sending this child through another trial when she's now 11 years old to re-traumatize her, that's not a good solution. So 
Did the victim ever really get a pound of flesh? Nope. Did the criminal justice system in Montana fail her? Yes. Did the judicial system or the criminal justice system, the legal system in Montana, fail Jeff Foster? Yes. And so now we have an admitted sex offender who's walking the streets. So it tells us, folks, we got to pay attention. We got to dig deeper. We got to keep digging deeper. And we thank you for the opportunity to talk to you today. Again, we want to thank Aaron Flint for having us on his show, Montana Talks. As you know, he just does a great job of getting more Montanans involved in politics and just in general, the issues facing our state. We hope that he, too, will do a follow up on this because there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of folks that are angry at Judge Spalding, but we think that anger, too, is misplaced. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you for taking us with you on your journey today, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Montana Values Podcast. Become a sponsor of the show by going to our website, montanavaluespodcast.com, locating the sponsor page and clicking on the donate button. Subscribe to the show on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Parler. Our handle is at MTValues. What's your favorite Montana value? How do you live it? Write to us. Our email address is montanavaluespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.